Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Bring, bring it Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Dan, Arsenal fan. Uh, you can get me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits. Yeah, I'm Koss. I'm on Twitter at Koss underscore Ponder 17. I'm currently the editor at Get Italian Football News and I write for Football Italian. Yeah, I just cover the Premier League as well. Awesome. Thanks to you so much for coming on. It's been a while for both of you, so uh, very delighted to get to catch up with you guys. Although, Dan, you might be a little bit less excited because I figure we need to start off by talking about the London Derby today between Arsenal and Chelsea. Obviously, Chelsea come out victorious in that one. I, I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on on that match at, at large. There's a match? Oh, I, I didn't see. <laughs> at least one uh, of the teams played a match. Yeah, it was, alleged, it was allegedly a match. Um, no, it was not a competitive game uh, in any way, shape, or form. I think we ended up getting outshot 22 to 6, uh, and out XG'd about 3 to uh, 0. 0.5. So um, that's not very good. Uh, and, and, like, this shouldn't be all that surprising. Maybe the, the style and the lack of competitiveness is a tad surprising, but they're just a much better team than us, and we were without, you could argue between like three and seven starters so like they're already better to begin with and we're without a bunch of players it's it shouldn't really be a surprise um that said we also set out terribly uh it was painfully obvious how they were just cutting through us on the, getting a little overload on the right hand side uh and playing it to reese james and going from there just time and time again in the first half it was horrendous um so uh, not uh, getting beat badly was not a surprise. That said, uh, that was also worse than I was expecting. Um, it was just it, uh, an already bad situation was uh, just made worse by the way we set out. Yeah, I think as sad as it sounds, I mean, Arsenal right now should probably be looking at maybe teams like Leeds, Everton, and maybe Leicester as well, because Chelsea are probably a couple of levels above them. Um, even in terms of the European uh, European side of things, because Arsenal are not in the Conference League, um, Chelsea are the European champions, basically. So it clearly suggests that Chelsea are pretty much two or three levels above them, and it's not really their competition right now. And uh, even though Arsenal have sort of had a good record against Chelsea and even United for for some reason, because they like to play against teams that come at, come at them instead of uh, teams that play deeper. I think Chelsea have just gone up on another level with Lukaku coming in. Um, they just are probably the best team in the Premier League right now, uh, better than Chelsea. So I think Arsenal fans are as disappointing as they sh- disappointed that they should be. Um, I mean, 
it was pretty expected in a way. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't think it was a huge upset, although certainly if you're on social media or, or listening to some of the news shows, maybe this is coming across as more of a, a kind of like to panic station thing. But I do agree. Obviously, no uh, disrespect. And I think coming into this match, we knew Chelsea had the stronger team and the better manager. So I, I, I'm not shocked by the result. Although I think, like you said, Dan, maybe maybe expected Arsenal to be a little bit better. But uh, cause you raise a really good point there by bringing up Lukaku. So on a couple uh, shows ago, the first one of the season, we were doing our predictions. And we kind of landed at if Chelsea get Lukaku and if City don't get Kane, then Chelsea are the favorites. Uh, would both of you guys agree with that? And what did you make of Lukaku today? And do you think that he is the difference for them? I honestly haven't even considered Sydney not getting Kane because I'm just so convinced it's going to happen. But yeah, sure, if they don't get a striker in, then um, that may end up put it, pushing Chelsea favorites. Um, Lukaku is just a ridiculous addition to an already very, very good squad with a very, very good manager. So uh, it's definitely a reasonable thing. I think there's lots of teams that are out there that are very close. Um, so it's I, I have City as favorites right now because I'm assuming they're getting Kane. But sure, yeah, if that doesn't happen, then um, <clears throat> it becomes a very, very tight race. Um, and as far as Lukaku as an individual, he's one of the best strikers in the world. Um, Chelsea's whole issue last season was they couldn't score goals because uh, Timo Werner just had a season from hell. Uh, their highest goal scorer ended up being a Jorginho of seven. Um, I, I'm fairly certain Lukaku is going to surpass that. He's not got too far to go. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, as a signing, he's he's very good, and yeah, he could be he could if Chelsea win the league, it's because they signed Lukaku. Um, at least that's that's the last move that pushed more of the edge. Yeah, yeah, I think the stuff that I saw of Lukaku in Serie, um, the role that he sort of played there, um, it just sort of ties into the way Thomas Tuchel wants wants Lukaku to play because. He's someone who's very good at attacking those spaces. I mean, pretty much saw that um, today, the way he almost attacked the channel around Pablo Mari, um, who's not exactly a fantastic defender by any means. That's, I'm still sometimes no, shocked. That one like, tweet said, Dan. <laughs> uh, pa- Pablo Mari is a money laundering tool, not a football player. <laughs> I mean, when Lukaku was in Serie A, especially the left-sided centre-back, there were pretty much... there was. In pretty much every Serie A game that he played, he absolutely destroyed the left-sided centre-backs. Um, and Pablo Mari is probably, uh, let's say, pretty much equal to the uh, lower mid-table sort of Serie A defenders. And I think it's Lukaku's style of play is pretty much about attacking the spaces. And Thomas Tuchel is very, very keen on attacking spaces. He's a manager from that German ilk of managers who love to interpret spaces and make optimum use of spaces around them. So I think Lukaku um, pretty much fits them. Um, and I think we saw Reese James um, assisting him for the first goal. And I think we'll keep on seeing this quite a lot because we saw that with Hakimi at, at Inter. Because whenever Lukaku is on the ball, um, the whole uh, opposition back line ends up being very, very narrow just to stop him from um, scoring a goal and since they become narrow the wing backs or the full backs or the wingers get load, get loads of space to attack so I think Reese James is going to enjoy himself quite a lot and he'll probably turn into probably one of the best in the world or in Europe in that regard so I think yeah apart from just goal scoring there's lo- lots more um, 
there for uh, Chelsea fans to look forward to because Lukaku can well win them the league. Yeah, and as of right now, uh, I'd say that that's probably the case. Although, Dan, uh, you seem very confident in City going to Kane, and I'm just refusing uh, emotionally. Um, that's totally fair. Very yeah. understandable. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I, th- I think it's important to be relatable uh, with the audience. Um, uh, speaking of Kane and potential transfers and stuff like that, just 10 days left in the transfer window. Lots of players are still trying to get a move away from their current clubs, currently two at Tottenham and Kane and in Dombele. I was curious how your club handles want-away players or players that are openly flirting with moves. Uh, obviously, a thing that has happened at both of your clubs as well, but... Would, would you just sell? Would you just keep them and force them to kind of get on with their football? What's the situation for you guys, and how do you think it could best be handled? I mean, Arsenal's strategy lately has been um, buy out their contracts. Uh, we don't sell players. We buy them out. It's been quite frustrating. How I mean, to be fair, no one has money right now. Like no Outside of uh, the Premier League, no one has any money. Everyone is broke. So I get it. It is difficult to sell players, but like, Last season, of the first-team players that left the club, uh, we had Ozil bought out his contract. Uh, Socrates bought out his contract. Mustafi bought out his contract. Mkhitaryan bought out his contract. Um, we did end up we did sell Ian Martinez, so that was something last season. But he was a walk-away <laughs> player who we actually got good money for. Um, and as much as he had a good season, uh, I do think the process behind that was sound. So, yay! Um, but, no, we... And there's been rumors uh, going around uh, in the last couple of days that we're going to buy out uh, Klasnich's contract as well. It's just we don't sell players. That just doesn't happen. Um, though, again, to be fair, we sold Joe Willock for, again, I think pretty decent money. Um, so outside of the we, – we don't sell – we haven't been able to sell Wantaway players for a while because we get them on bad contracts, and then no one's going to match for wages. And at that point, why would they leave? They're in a great city uh, at a at least prestigious club, if not a good one um getting lots of money why would they go somewhere for less it doesn't make sense so we end up mm. trying to sell them failing to do so and then recently we've been buying out the contracts or they just leave for free you know depending on the situation um as we have lots of want to players right now um and i don't know if we're going to get rid of any of them except maybe class niche if we buy out his contract um because i know we've been trying to sell terrera again no one has money um we've been trying to sell uh Bellerin. Uh, I don't know what's happening there. He is apparently willing to take a wage cut and still can't move him. Uh, Cedric, I don't know if we've actually been trying to sell him, but we should be. Uh, there's uh, Aubameyang trying to move. No one's going to take up his wages. He's get he's on a terrible contract. Um, same Lacazette's not on quite as terrible a contract, but it doesn't seem like anyone has money for him either. So, yeah, we we don't really sell players, unfortunately, which is uh, not. Arsenal's fault right now, just due to the no one has money thing. But it's it, regardless whose whose fault it is, it's not a great situation. Yeah, I mean for United, I sort of use this analogy quite a lot on Facebook groups, WhatsApp groups, and stuff. And it's that um, when United go out in the market, they probably just try to sell lemons, but they come back home having sold tomatoes or maybe potatoes and stuff. <laughs> That's because I mean, the loan deals that United do and and sometimes even the selling bit, it's sometimes pretty improper in a way because, um, I mean, people say that it's improved on Rolling and I think it has improved a bit. But um, still the loan deals that United have, or at least had last season, a lot of them were pretty disappointing and 
they never really bore any fruit. We had James Garner go out to Nottingham Forest uh, and do pretty well, actually. But the plan this summer was to loan him out to a Premier League club and he's gone back to Nottingham Forest for some weird reason. I'm not quite sure of that. And Ahmad Diallo will go out on loan. Um, Sheffield United are said to be interested when Ahmad clearly wants Premier League. He, I mean, it's been stated by reliable sources that he wants to stay in the Premier League, get Premier League experience. So I'm, I'm not quite sure why he'll go to Sheffield United unless United have fooled him that Sheffield United are still the Premier League or something and they've not been relegated and stuff. But yeah, I mean, the Pogba situation is probably the most complicated one. Um, mm. Apart from Papa in the European uh, in European football these days, because he's demanding about what 400k per week. United haven't really offered him that much, even though he's pretty much got five assists in in, uh, in two games. Um, United haven't offered that. Clubs can't sign him at this point because we know PSG can't, Real Madrid can't, Juventus uh, they can't even imagine that. I mean, there's no real suitors there. I mean, clubs like him, but they can't really afford him. Um, then we are at the risk of losing him for free again next summer. I mean, about last summer, I had this conspiracy theory that we'll lose Pogba on a free again. And I think that's pretty much what's going to happen unless um, he becomes the highest, um, highest paid player at the club. And I don't think United are going to do that because they sort of moved away from that sort of thing, especially if you consider the way the Sanchez stuff, uh, Alexis Sanchez stuff worked out and the way Pogba over the last two seasons has just played half a season each. Um, so if you keep all of that in mind, it doesn't really make too much sense to give him about 400k a week as good as he's been in the in the previous two games. Yeah, it's it's a bit complicated, but as I, as I said, um, United go out to sell and buy something else and they sometimes just buying and selling something completely different. It's going to be really interesting to see if more Premier League clubs do business with each other because they kind of have to. Because um, that's where all the whole, money is? Yeah, no, because no one else has any money. No, and even beyond transfer fees, forgetting that, no one can afford anyone's wages. Like like I said, Arsenal can't sell. Uh, I'm not sure anyone's going to take a bombing's wages, but if lack it, that's more of a reasonable um example where like he's not on crazy wages probably re- or, like somewhat high but not crazy stuff um so it's like it wouldn't be an unreasonable deal if people had money but they don't in except in the premier league um and it's just no one no one has any money so you have to start dealing business with teams you don't necessarily want to do business if you want to get rid of these players um and I'm not sure if, if, if either side of any deal is up for that. I, I know Premier League clubs don't love, especially bigger ones, don't love dealing with other big clubs because there's obvious ways that can come back to bite you, um, both on the pitch and just as a reputation PR kind of thing. Um, it's not something clubs seem to like to do, but they may have to. Yeah, and I think we're seeing exactly that with Harry Kane right now with with leaks of what the gentleman's agreement was supposed to be was basically Kane said, if we don't get top four or win a trophy, I want to leave next year. And Levy's expectation was that we would be able to sell him abroad because he was never going to sell in country. And no one has that kind of money. Maybe next year, you know, PSG, if they sold Mbappe, Dortmund, if they sold Holland, um, then there might be some foreign suitors in. But right now it's basically city or nothing. 
And City aren't offering enough money right now, still. And it might be too late, but we won't get into that too much, especially with uh, to cause his delight, uh, Vlahovic staying at Fiorentina. Uh, that was our number one target with Lotaro as a soft two, and both are off the table now. would be pretty hard to sell Harry Kane with, no, with basically no one left. But as has been mentioned several times, it seems like he definitely wants to move on and he might just be stuck. What what kind of impact do you think that has? He, either the Kane situation in particular or a situation for your clubs where a player wanted the move away but might end the window just where he was? Uh, well, I think that's happening with Aubameyang um, and Lacazette. Uh, I think they both wanted out and both of them have come to the realization that... Um, or I'm, too, I'm not sure who wanted who out, whether it was the club more so or the player, but I think both sides were ready for a move in both situations and it's not going to happen for either of them. So um, yeah, they're probably just going to play out their, play out their contracts. Um, Cause I don't see anyone buying either of them. So that's going to be, uh, I'm not actually sure it is going to be that awkward. I don't think either of them, like we don't have any, any situation like the Kane one where like it's been, been made very clear throughout the media and with by the player, not showing up to training that like they actively don't want out where it could like cause disharmony in the squad. I think it's with, all of our players who want out outside of maybe Lucas Torreira, it's more like I'd rather I'd like to move on. But if it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen. So I don't think it's going to be that big a deal for any of our players, but it's still suboptimal. Yeah, I mean, a bit of like, bit of that uh, similar to that situation is probably Jesse Lingard. I mean, I forgot to mention him in the previous. Yeah, previous after thing. his great loan last because, year. Yeah, I mean, he did play about ten minutes today for I don't know what reason he did pretty much nothing anyway but it's a bit complicated for him as well because United are saying that they will use him but we all know they won't use him anyway and we know that West Ham are interested but what we also know is that United will value him much higher than what West Ham would want to pay and Lingard wants first team football so if if United if I mean it said that United and Lingard will probably talk to each other and uh, know whether they plan to use him or not and then uh, maybe plan to sell him in the last few days of the window. But um, yeah, it's pretty complicated in that front because we, a lot of information is out there. But even though it's the Premier League and we have a lot of money in the Premier League as compared to uh, Liga and Serie A and all, that, all these leagues, but we still can't unlock that deal and again it's an example of how United really can't uh, sell their players at the right time for the right fees because we've seen that with Andreas Pereira he's gone off to Flamengo Um, United have a uh, I mean Flamengo have an option to buy him for 20 million but again we all know that Flamengo can't really pay that so I'm really not sure uh, how United uh, try to sell players and because we look at Chelsea and Man City they have created almost this whole line of players that they can sell uh, to reinvest their money on to sign the likes of Grealish maybe Harry Kane and bring Lukaku in but United have sort of struggled and even Liverpool I think have struggled in that department even though a lot of their players are liked in the Premier League and a lot of Premier League clubs are interested in the, interested in them yeah, United Liverpool are in just completely different boats as compared to uh, City and Chelsea. 
Is there an understanding how much United are asking for Lingard? I mean, like roughly. They said it was about thirty million, but you know, it's he yeah. just he's just got a year left on his contract. No I, one's I, gonna pay that much. Yeah, he needs. To, I would love twenty million for Jesse Lingard if he were left on his contract, but. Like he's gonna be 29 in. I mean, if he's yeah. has a year off his contract, that doesn't matter. But like he's gonna be 29 in the January window. Like just get what you can. Yeah, and they're not gonna play him anyway. Not sure what they're trying to do with him. So they're like looking at like the loss of money of what they think they should get for him versus what they might get <laughs> instead of looking at the amount of money that they gain by getting money for a player that isn't playing. Yeah, I mean that's Albert Einstein level mathematics. Sorry, what, what, what <laughs> I was saying, uh, 50% of something is better than uh, 100% of nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's yeah. exactly the situation. And yeah, cause I, I think uh, Tottenham are in a very similar place right now with player sales, where we basically let Vertonghen and Alderweireld walk out the door for nothing, uh, got just 20 million for Ericsson after him being valued at like 60 million the year before. Um, Lamella plus 20 million was worth a Spanish teenager. A very good one, but still... Um, so yeah, I think we're in a similar place and I think Levy's facing that exact decision right now is like, this is the peak Kane value. Nobody's offering anywhere near 150 million next year when there are four strikers that are worth that out on the market. So it's, it's a really interesting one. I think this is why I've seen some Spurs fans and even some Liverpool fans bringing up like, is this like the Gerrard to Chelsea moment for Kane? Is this like the one window he'll have to actually make a move like this? And uh, it's possible, but, you know, it's worth noting that we do have someone on the show and Dan that thinks that it's definitely still happening. So uh, we'll let our biases cancel out and then uh, we'll see where the truth kind of lands come the end of the window. I, I assume City fold, or someone folds just because, as you say, this is probably the one shot Kane has to leave. This one shot Spurs have to get real money for Kane because mm-hmm. he's 29 next summer and he has a long history of injuries. Yep, and, and his contract say, is through his age 31 season, which is a probably scary name to hear for Arsenal fans as striker in age. Yeah, yes. It's, it's extremely traumatizing, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, I I don't know. This just seems like Spurs' chance to get a lot of money for Kane and to actually like use it to reinvest. So I... It's, I think someone has to fold because City also have a very large Harry Kane-shaped hole in their squad right now. Yeah, although the 5-0. Like, if last week we all were saying that now they have to go by Kane because they didn't score goals, I suppose this week we should mention that they did score five anyway. But, yeah, yes. but if, you're, if you're letting your evaluation change on playing Norwich, well... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, also concerns about Norwich, but this is not, not the show when we're talking about that fight just yet. All right, and I want to wrap up this section by talking to you guys a little bit about tactics. If there's anything that your managers have switched up this year from last year, and if so, which players might gain to, to benefit or lose out from, from those changes? Uh, there haven't really been any, any pronounced tactical changes. Um, I guess you could argue the one thing is uh, I assume the three four three is dead because uh, I feel like today would have been the perfect day to use it if you were going to do that yeah. this season, though I guess. Arteta's scramble if he's are scrambling after losing potentially maybe he'll pick it back up but it seems like it's dead because this was the obvious time to use it if you're going to so that's not as much of a change as much as cementing a change that had already happened um and I guess we're again cementing something that already happened with Hector Bellerin seemingly in the way out and neither of Cedric and Callum Chambers being particularly fleet of foot uh, and Kieran Tierney and acquiring uh, a 
backup that plays like Kieran Tierney and maybe having Kieran Tierney fit. Not so sure about that after today. Um, just again, more cementing the whole thing where we're going to have a more conservative right back and um, adventurous left back. Again, those aren't really changes as much as cementing things that had already patterns that had already uh, taken shape, but there haven't been many changes for the squad so far. So, yeah, I mean, for United, um, they were saying that well, they might just try a 4 3 3, but we can't really try 4 3 3 if you've not got a proper defensive midfielder and you're just mm-hmm. pretty much relying on Matic to have a flyer of a season which today clearly showed that he's probably not going to have. I mean, there's about 2% chance of him having that sort of season because we've seen um, Matic and, oh, sorry, uh, McTominay and Fred play there regularly and do a decent job. I mean, I'm saying decent, um, but they actually protect the, the defenders quite a lot. But we saw Matic start today and McTominay coming on for, coming on from the bench, and we saw Lindelof and Maguire didn't quite have having a great game. So it, it, it just shows that McTominay and Fred are probably the most uh, the, the the key components in making United a much more balanced team than they are without them. Um, and the time United don't sign another defensive midfielder, um, they're not going to transition to a 4-3-3. And I think when we played Leeds, people said that, uh, wow, United are changing as a team. Um, and, and the fact that we were sort of playing in a 4-3-3 in, in possession when we were advancing um, on the transition. But it was Leeds. I mean, that's no disrespect to them. But when you play Leeds, um, your approach is completely different. Uh, the game is much more open. Uh, you've got lots of space to operate in, in behind or in midfield. And that's when um, Fred McTominay can do really, really well, be it a 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3 or any formation in the world. If they play together, they can do pretty well against Leeds. But um, when it comes to a team like Southampton, who played a lot deeper than we expect them to today, um, you need a proper defensive midfielder uh, in there and have um, maybe McTominay and uh, Fred play as that box-to-box midfielder with um, Bruno Fernandes playing as that as that 10. So I think United desperately need a defensive midfielder. Um, and apart from that, I think the only uh, major tactical stuff that's been going on is the Paul Pogba debate. I mean, it's not even a debate for me because there's loads of people out there who say that why is, Spock, why is Solskjaer not using uh, in that double pivot or in central midfield and the only reason for that is because he's not meant to play there. Um, I mean, we compare um, his performances at United to France uh, where he has N'Golo Kante beside him and um, he's playing in an international environment where it's much more easier to focus play on individual talents and not, I mean, at the international level, managers don't really have the time to create a tactical approach which suits the team. It's more about the individual traits of a player. So I think international football suits by anyway. So having him play much closer to goal, goal between the lines, um, when especially when Greenwood plays as a striker, because Greenwood, we know, is a naturally right-sided player and he drifts down the right anyway, even if, even if he plays as a striker. Mm. So it just gives Pogba more room to 
uh, play in. So it just makes 100% sense to play Pogba's left wing. And it's not even a debate for me. But yeah, um, if United um, still go out and get defensive midfielder, then it will make more sense to maybe play Pogba as that left-sided central midfielder in the 4-3-3. Or maybe Donny van der Beek, who's, who's, I'm not sure why he's not being used anyway. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a really good point. Not to get too far off topic here, but but what do you think is going on with Donny Van de Beek? And might he be one of those players that you end up having to loan? No, I mean it's it's similar to what happened with Frankie De Jong and Matthias De Ligt, where yeah, he's still adjusting to the way United play because you look at the way Ajax play, it's. There's too many passes in their build-up. I mean, it's it's pretty much in their DNA. They play too many safe passes in that 4-3-3. And Van der Beek, we see so many times when he can play the pass forward and create an opening. He's more into playing a safer sideways pass when what Bruno or Pogba do is they just take a risk and create a chance. Or if Donny plays, he doesn't cover enough spaces behind them or he doesn't cover as many spaces as McTominay or Fred. So... He's just between both of them. So it's a bit of a conundrum. And it's said that he's physically um, sort of developed himself, physically much more robust. I mean, it's just 180 minutes of football played in the Premier League anyway. So I'm pretty, pretty hopeful that he plays because if he, if he plays game, he's a very, very good player. I mean, this is a player who's finished about 16th in the Ballon d'Or uh, Ratings in 2019, when Spurs, of course, knocked them out of Champions League. Mm. So if he gets going, I mean, he's a top-class player. Yep, no arguments here. Uh, We'll take a quick break, and then we'll be back with more club-specific questions for each of our guests. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. All right, and we are back. We will start off with Dan talking a little bit about Arsenal. Obviously, we did so at the Open, but I was just curious to hear from you. I I said for myself that I wasn't shocked by the result earlier today, but that a lot of people online are calling this now a crisis. Obviously, the fixture computer, not very kind to you. Uh, Are you particularly worried about the season off the evidence of just the two matches thus far? Is there more building that's led to that kind of reaction? Uh, I'm no more worried than I already was, which, to be fair, was worried. So, I mean, mm. I, I don't know if the direction of the club has been good for a while. Uh, I, do, I've, I have mixed feelings about our transfer window. I think the process is at least a bit better um, with everyone we've purchased being, I don't know how old Ramsdale is. Everyone except Ramsdale being 23 order under and Ramsdale might be, um, yeah, he's 23 as well. 
So yeah, everyone has actually been young this time, which is better than our last summer, which was a, a catastrophe and may have set us back multiple years. Um, actually, speaking of last summer, you know how I forgot about trying to shift? William. Just totally forgot he played the club. We're trying yep. to sell him. Not not doing that either. Um, but back to the point. Yeah, no. Um, I, I don't know what you were expecting if today changed anything about your evaluation. Because... Uh, this should this should have been the expectation again maybe not in the manner but the result and just us being outclassed by Chelsea yeah but you should be expecting that um and like last week we lost and I don't think we played great but I don't think we played terribly either we played uh Brentford about even which isn't great but that's kind of what we've been doing for the last two or three years like we play mid we play okay teams even and sometimes we win sometimes we lose um this isn't different but this is what's been going on so uh, I am concerned in the fact that I don't really believe in the manager that much, and I don't believe in the team, but that's not new. Like, this is not, nothing has changed based on today or yesterday or last week. Um, this is just kind of how it's been going for a while. So, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I, I heard at the Spurs Bar that I was at today some some worried comments about the availability of one Antonio Conte, uh, which would be very frustrating after we missed out on him ourselves. Do you think that having a manager of that profile out there causes more harm to uh, Arteta's job security? Or did you sticking with him through the summer show all the intent that it needed to and that you'll really stick with him throughout the season? Uh, I mean, it probably doesn't help, but I don't really see him getting sacked mid-season. I think they'll probably give him till the end of the season and, it, and only sack him if it goes quite poorly, like eighth again um, or worse. Uh, if we finish like fifth or sixth or I mean, or sixth, maybe even seventh, I don't know about seventh. Um, I, I don't think that's considered a failure of the season. Um, I think that's kind of the expectation uh, and it might even get him a contract extension. Uh, so I, I don't know if I'd do that, but I could. Uh, the Cronkies have backed him a lot. Like we've spent a lot of money since he's got here. So for them to just yeah, go most and sack him a year later, yep, it's been a lot. Like I mean, uh, I I don't know. I have some some issues with how it's been spent. I don't think it's all terrible. Like I said, I think the Odegaard signing is very good. Uh, I think the Sambi signing is good. Uh, the Tavares signing is at least process-wise, good. I have no idea if he's any good, but at least uh, compare it how, how we handled the backup right-back situation with signing Cedric. I think this is much better, going for a 21-year-old as opposed to a 28-year-old and then giving him a four-year contract. Um, so I think those are all good. I don't understand spending $80 million on a backup goalkeeper and a center-back when we were a third in goals conceded, and I believe around fifth in expected goals conceded last season, which is fine like you can get top four off that and yeah you were sloppy but you weren't bad defensively yeah like we have dumb moments but like if if you look at the hole and you think yeah defense is where this team needs to improve i I don't know what you're watching like we scored 55 goals last season but that was the problem the problem is we can't attack and we have never been able to attack under arteta that's never he's never done that well um like we were mid-table in attack and we were hot close to the top in defense i don't know how you see that and then be like yeah you know what we need to do spend 80 million on this uh, center back and backup goalkeeper so even ignoring the players uh i'm 
I'm not particularly high on Ramsdale, but also I can't evaluate goalkeepers who can outside of other goalkeepers. Um, ben White, not a good first game, and I have some concerns, but he is at least pretty highly rated. So the players themselves seem fine, I guess. But just the process, I especially when your your aim is to get in the top four, top six, I think your transfer outlay should be slanted towards the uh, front end of the pitch, the attacking half, just because I think it's much easier to systematize a defense than it is an attack. I think you really need the talent in attack, whereas uh, my favorite example is uh, Valencia 2014-2015 were the third best defense in the league with 32 goals conceded with a center-back pairing of Nicolas Otamendi and Skodran Mustafi. Under um, which manager? Under... I don't remember. Who Nuno Espirito Santo. I didn't realize that. That's funny. Um, <laughs> he's a good defensive coach. But, uh, but yeah, it's and that's my favorite example because everyone thinks those guys are terrible. Um, but e- even just us last season is a good example where you can kind of make a defense. It's easier to make a good defense out of just system and not having good players because I don't think you'd say any of our defenders are particularly good um, last season. And we were still a pretty good defensive team. But it's much easier to do that with defense than attack. So I think you should, if, that, if our goal is to get top four eventually, probably not this season, but eventually, then we should be spending on attack just as a general philosophy. And that is made even more apparent by the fact that our attack sucks. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand that part. Yeah. Well, I, I agree with a lot of those points. Not that it matters or that Arsenal fans really want to hear my opinion on how they're doing. But I think what you're talking about when you're talking about like some of these signings and how they fit better is it seems like you're aiming at a window of success that isn't necessarily now, but like with William Saliba, if you ever play him ever, or bring, obviously well, he's on ben low. White, ben White ended that as long as Arteta's manager. That's you think, you think long-term? Fair enough. Oh, well, yeah. they, you have, number. they gave him four last season. Then, then he loaned him out and then they took it from him and gave it to White. Like, that's not that's, super that's cool. very off the nose. Like, okay. That's fair. But yeah, so you have, Gabriel then, at least, and then Ben White long-term. Uh, both of your left-backs are pretty young. Obviously, you have your own homegrown players coming through, like Saka and, uh, and <laughs> I almost said Odegaard. That's not the one I mean. Uh, Emil Smith-Rowe, and then obviously you're bringing in Odegaard, also in that same age bracket. Do, do you think it's safe to say that you are building where you're like, we're going to be good in two years, and until then, we're just going to bring in these young players and get them to grow together? Yes, absolutely. And I think that's correct. I don't think, like, we've been trying to get be good now uh, for the last five years. Or, like, you know, if we can just sneak in the top four this season, then it'll change things for, like, the last couple of years. And it's gone terribly every time. But we've continually gotten worse trying to do that. So I, I believe this approach is better. Um, do I believe the manager that they are backing to do it is the right guy? I think there's more evidence to the contrary than uh, to back that up right now. I'm not, like, I don't know. If I if he was sacked, I wouldn't be upset. Um, I'm not. That that one patch of us playing well last season for a couple months has has made me doubt myself a little. But I still I still think he's not great, and that we should probably move on. But that doesn't look likely. Yeah. Well, if it makes you feel any better, Tottenham are in our own current stretch of oh, we just we're like a player away from making the top four, and then all of our financial woes will be solved. So uh, 
you can watch us follow you down that particular slide. Um, coming to you now, cause to talk a little bit about Manchester United. Obviously, the first week of the season went very well for you. You mentioned Pogba and his four assists that he racked up in that one match. This week, a little bit less successful. But from these two matches, obviously very early, very small sample size. Which of the things are repeatable from week one? And which of the things from this week do you think you kind of need to cut out if you want to be in that title contention conversation? I mean, it just depends on the expectations. I mean, when the season started, um, I mean, after we signed Varan, just before the league game, um, I was thinking that I'll be pretty happy with a second or third place finish. um, Because you look at how last season went. I mean, since I interact with so many United fans, um, they constantly said that if United were handed a preseason, I mean, I'm talking about the 2020-21 uh, season. If United were handed a preseason, um, they wouldn't have lost the games against Palace, the 6-1 against Spurs. And uh, if they hadn't lost to Sheffield United, um, they could have competed for the, for the title. I mean, it's almost like saying if United have won pretty much every single game in the season, um, which is a bit unrealistic. Um, if you should you have tried that, though. Yeah. Seems like a good strategy to me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what United fans say that if they hadn't lost to Sheffield United that uh that game against at Old Trafford and then they wouldn't have lost that six one and then um they had or they hadn't rested those players uh, at home against Leicester because um we had that fixture congestion and the protests and stuff. And then if we hadn't lost to Liverpool uh because the protest had delayed the game, I mean it was a bit funny but it's the standards we're talking about in the Premier League um, that you pretty much need to win every single game to win the Premier League. That's the sort of standard we have now, especially this season where Chelsea have got gone to another level. City have gone up to another level. May They may yet go to the next level with Kane yet. Um, United are probably not signing anyone, but till the time they don't get a defensive midfielder in, I don't really see them um, challenging for the title. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as the first and second games go, games go, I mean, for the first game, um, United did beat Leeds 6-2 um, in the previous season anyway. And they like to play against teams of uh, teams that sort of play in the Leeds way. Um, we saw against Roma last season where we absolutely battered them. We battered Real Sociedad 4-0 away from home at San Sebastian. And we had so many games where we were very, very comfortable against teams with um, that press high that uh, that try to come at you because they leave so many spaces behind. That United are absolutely are absolute experts at exploiting those spaces, and Leeds are a perfect sample for a team of that type. And Southampton were meant to be that, but Southampton had a plan B, um, which United don't really have themselves right. I mean. They say they have it, but again, sometimes the construction of attack from deep is pretty questionable. Um, and again, it ties back to the fact that there's no proper defensive midfielder in apart from expecting a Nemanja Matic, Ramon Tada, and stuff. <laughs> uh, which, as I said, is not going to happen. It looks very, very unlikely. Yeah, it's pretty much quite the same problems as last season. Um, yeah, but apart from the apart from that, 
the set pieces stuff was pretty promising because last season uh, set pieces were very very annoying uh, when it be it attacking those set pieces or defending them they used to concede pretty much at every third set piece they had um, and they never scored with their own set pieces and but today it was pretty good um, all the free kicks and corners that we had all of them look pretty dangerous and that's pretty much why we had an xg of about 2 and southampton couldn't even get close to uh, one or something i know it's a pretty small sample size since it's just one game but yeah uh, to be fair i'm not too disappointed with the one one since my expectations are not for to win the win every single game and win the title <laughs> like our fans expected to last year yeah, you mentioned the fan expectations a couple of times there, and I feel like th- those were only worsened or bettered, depending on your perspective, with the signings of Jaden Sancho and Rafael Varane, obviously two very highly touted players coming in. Uh, it sounds like you don't think either of them are the one that's going to turn you into the title-winning side unless you address that defensive midfield spot, which you mentioned. But uh, what can fans expect from those two? What, what, what kind of impact are you expecting those two players to have on the Manchester United team over the season? I mean, as I just said, um... United have a plan B, but they just can't execute it, which is that playing against teams that are uh, in their own half, defending very deep, because in the second half today, we saw Southampton essentially play in a back five, uh, five, three, two, where they actually like to play in a four, two, two, two shape, which presses high up the pitch. But in the second half, they resorted to a plan B and United had to uh, break their blocks down. Um, Varane and Sancho will help that because United pretty much had a non, non-existent right wing last season um, and that was exploited by Villarreal in that painful um, Europa League um, final and we see uh, I remember watching a compilation of goals that United conceded last season and absolutely I mean one third or maybe half of them were Victor Lindelof errors and apart from that, Harry Maguire is very, very good at what he does in carrying the ball forward, helping United build attacks, especially from the left. But when he goes forward, Lindelof can't cover up for him by um, defending that higher back line or going into the opposition strikers and taking balls off them. Varane is an absolute expert at that because he's one of the fastest uh, centre-backs in Europe. Um, and he's good on the ball as well. I mean, I won't say he's as good on the ball as Lindelof, but he's pretty decent at it. He can carry the ball forward. Uh, not as good as Maguire, of course, but he just completes United. But yeah, that that missing jigsaw is still a defensive midfielder because there's no Matic in Montada. Fred's not a defensive midfielder. McTominay is not a defensive midfielder. So yeah, I mean, we need one, but I don't think we're going to get one. Gotcha. Well, uh, <laughs> as you say, it seems like your your expectations are probably more in line with reality, but some people are going to be very mad if you wind up finishing third behind City and Chelsea, uh, <laughs> for sure. Uh, now we'll head into Player Watch, where I was just curious to hear from you guys, which players at your club are likely to leave before the transfer window closes? I know we did touch on a couple of names in the opening segment. Um, probably Hector Bellerin. Uh, he's, like as I said, a, pe- a- reportedly willing to take a wage cut. Uh, and I think both parties are just ready to move on, which would make me very sad. He's my favorite player, but oh well. But it's, it is probably best for all parties if he just gets a new, a fresh start. Um, he's not quite what he used to be. He's definitely lost some athleticism. Um, probably 
in no small part due to that ACL tear. Um, and it's it's always been kind of he's always had a bit of a weird relationship with fans, even if I think he's exactly what a fan should want in a player and is a perfect representation of everything you want Arsenal to be. Not everyone does. So unfortunately, I think he's probably the most likely to leave. Yeah, for United, I think I just sort of touched on Lingard. I think he's probably the likeliest to leave. I mean, in terms of leaving permanently, it's probably him because Ahmad's going to go out on loan. Garner's gone out on loan. Uh, Pereira's, Pereira's loan was confirmed yesterday or, or, or maybe the day before. So I think um, Lingard's probably going to be the the most prominent player to leave and we still don't know if he's going to leave anywhere because I said, that situation is pretty, pretty complicated, and I think Pogba's going to stay. Um, they will probably just try to get him in for this season and try to convince him by maybe winning something or um, just handing him a good wage, which keeps him on for uh, keeps him on till next summer. And maybe they sell him on next summer anyway for a good fee. And uh, I mean, I'm not expecting them to replace Pogba in, in any shape or form. But yeah, I mean, Linga's probably the only one who's going to leave. Diogo Dalo saying, yeah, Linga's the only one. Gotcha. So it sounds like not too many moves on the way out from your clubs. Are, are there any names being bandied about as potential incomings for either of you? Uh, no, not since Odegaard and, Ram- Odegaard and Ramsdale have just dominated so much of the news and now they're confirmed. So um, with Tammy gone to Roma, I, I really don't think there's that much... Uh, that many potential incomings, mostly about uh, outgoings now. Yeah, I mean, pretty much the same. Um, I mean, even though we've uh, linked, I mean, we've been linked with, with Ruben Neves constantly, but I mean, Arsenal have been as well, but there's been nothing concrete in that regard, even though Wolves have sort of um, leaked it out that they want about 35 million to let him go. We were linked with Pape Sar, who's obviously off to Tottenham now. Um, again, someone who could have played defensive midfield, but uh, we're not going to sign a defensive midfielder anyway. So, yeah, I mean, the United Board have essentially leaked it out through their own journalists that, hey, United have got three signings, um, Varan Sancho and Tom Heaton, of all people. So, yeah, all jolly and happy on that front. Yeah, I mean, Neves thing is probably dead for us with the Shaka extension, just to yeah. fill that out. Oh, yeah, that, that's a very interesting one that he ended up turning around. Oh, we should have probably mentioned him with one of the way players that ended up staying. He was all he was all packed up for Roma and then wound up signing. Yeah, extension. yeah, uh, I think it, but it was the whole news was like to protect his value. Um, yeah, I guess that's another case of just no one having money. I think that they are mm-hmm. re- refused off more than 15 million, which eh, you could argue. I don't know. We'll see if. So much of it depends on if teams actually have money next summer. Because if they do, I think we can probably get more fat. But if they don't, we almost certainly can't. So yeah. it's about, I guess, it's about reading the COVID market. And I, I can't claim to do that. So, <laughs> sure. Fair enough. All right, we will wrap up with match preview. So, uh, Dan, we'll come to you first. Manchester City versus Arsenal. We mentioned the uh, fixture computer not being particularly kind. This is the end of that run, though. A little easier patch of fixtures after this. But what do you make of this one? Pain, lots of pain. Um, I have, I have no hope, man. Like, uh, oh man, I, I have, I, my only hope is that Pep just outthinks himself or something. I don't know. We, they're much better than us, uh, and we don't, 
we don't look likely to turn this around. Uh, we'll see who's fit next week, who's recovered from COVID, who hasn't, because I know that, that is why. I don't know if that's official, but it's pretty much assume, or known or assumed that Ben White missed because of COVID. Um, Lacazette, it is officially missed because of COVID. So I have no idea on their timetables because of that. Um, I, I don't know what kind of squad we're going to roll out, but I am, I am sure 100% that's going to be worse than one city will. Um, so a better squad, better manager, not hopeful. Um, yeah, I think it's more, I think the most likely outcome right now is that we start, um, three games with no points. So that's going to be a fun day on the Twitter timeline. <laughs> but as you say, apparently that's not going to be enough to get people antsy about Arteta, especially with a not yeah. so bad run of fixtures. Yeah, or at least, at least not the board uh, or the higher ups. Um, I, uh, I'm can't sure promise there, about Arsenal some... TV. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Arsenal fan TV. They can do they they do everything and anything. Um, but yeah, no, even just to the general Arsenal fandom, I can definitely see them starting to turn. But I just I I cannot think that the Cronkies would go back a manager more than they backed anyone before and then just sack and him after like bait. six months. That just doesn't seem their style at all. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that makes sense. Uh, and then we'll wrap up with you, Cause, talking about Wolves versus Manchester United, uh, just based on the match that we saw today. Uh, just don't let Adama Traore near the goal. Yeah, pretty much. And I think it's good for United that Wolves have got Bruno Lage now because under Nuno, we had so many nil-nil draws that they literally gave me sleepless night. Sleepless night. Uh, but Bruno Lage seems like a much more attacking coach who's uh, we're pretty much not guaranteed to get another nil-nil. Which I'm happy with because since, as I said, Wolves like to play a more attacking brand of football now. So I'm just and and it just um, helps United play more, play to their strengths essentially. So I think it's going to help United win the game. I'm I'm just hoping that because uh, you never know if if Wolves have got a plan B like Southampton did today. Um, United might just struggle, and we know United like to go one and down in games. It's become their favorite habit. To, before turning him in, turning themselves into a second half team and saying, "Here we go in the second half and butchering teams." So yeah, um, I'm pretty hopeful that we should be winning that. Gotcha. Well, best of luck to both of you, I guess. <laughs> That'll do it for us today. If you guys would like to tell folks where where they could find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Yeah, I'm still Dan. I am still an Arsenal fan, for better or for worse. And you can still get me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at cos underscore pande17. And yeah, I just cover City a lot. So yeah, uh, you can keep a track on that. Awesome. And I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. Of course, for the show, you can find us on Twitter at EPL Roundtable and just search EPL Roundtable in Google or in any of your podcast stuff. And we should come right up there for you. But thanks so much to you two for coming on today. It was a pleasure as always. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. 
Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. 